All right, I have this problem that I'm going to tell you about, true confession, a bad habit that I have. I lose my sunglasses all the time. I do. Um, and they're never like, it'd be one thing if they were like cheap $5 sunglasses. Anybody, does anybody else have that problem? Did I ask that? Look at that. We can start a group together, uh, except we don't get lost. Um, but here's the thing. I, I, my eyes are a little bit sensitive to light, so I buy nice sunglasses, but I usually lose them. So every birthday, Christmas, anniversary gift, I always get the same gift. It's a new pair of sunglasses. And uh, now my wife has a different problem. Her problem is uh, that she loses her purse. Um, so I'm not even going to ask how many women that's a problem with because that, you know, that, that can I ask how many? Yeah, that's a problem. No one admits it. Oh, one, one truthful person. All right. The rest of you are a bunch of liars. Um, and uh, now the thing with Carrie, though, I will tell you this. My wife loses that, loses her purse in the craziest of places. Like we were in Boston uh, a couple years ago. I was doing some speaking in, in New England and then we we're visiting my family because I'm from Boston originally. And um, we, uh, we, we take the car back to the car rental place. And the way it works in, in Boston, Logan Airport, you have, it's kind of about two miles away from the airport. So then you've got to take a shuttle from the car rental drop-off to, uh, to the airport. So we, take the, uh, we drop the car off. We get on the shuttle. We, go to the, we get to the airport. We check our bags. Uh, we're going through security. And then, you know, the spot where they say, all right, get, make sure you have your ticket your boarding pass and your license. And my wife says, oh, I've lost my purse. And I'm like, well, where did you know where it was? This and that. Well, I go out and she says, I think I left it on the shuttle. So now it's been a while. So then I have to go out, tell the guy, you know, you got to explain to security, that whole thing. And then I go out. And so then I, I actually get a radio from the, because the, there's a, a little um, hub where they have this. So I'm getting on the radio and I don't even know what to say. So I'm like, you know, breaker, breaker, one niner. You know, I'm not really sure what you say on those things. So I'm like, hey, man, uh, I was just on your bus. Can you check to see if there's a purse? Uh, and so the guy says, yes, there is. And I'm like, it's my wife's. The guy turns the bus around, get, comes back, gives me the purse. Thanks so much. Um, so then and then we get home safely. Um, another time, this is a few months ago, we are at Disney World and um, my wife realizes that she has lost her purse, uh, or that she's like, oh, I left my purse at the hotel. The problem was we were 100 miles away. We were on our way home. So the next hour I spend on the phone trying to get the manager of the hotel, resort, hotel, and I'm like, um, I, I need you to FedEx this to me tomorrow. But then it's like down by where the bikes are, so the bike guy is like this whole mess. Finally, I get... The person with her purse on the phone, and I got to explain to him what exactly I need him to do. We just put it in a box with a label, you know, and here's my credit card and ship me the purse. And so anyway, that's what happens. Well, two weeks ago, um, we're driving to lunch and uh, I'm, it's, you know, a bright day like every day is here in South Florida. And, and I'm like, I can't find my sunglasses. And, I'm, and, and my wife is like, you, you lost your sunglasses again. I just bought you these sunglasses a week ago for our anniversary because I had lost the other pair. And uh, so she's like, I just bought you these and you've already lost. It took you a week to lose them. And so she's like, you know, just retrace your steps and you'll figure, you know, figure out what I'm like, okay, I was here and then that and then this. And I'm like, oh, I remember what happened. Um, there's a kind of a backstage area where I look over my notes before the service and um, I took, I had my glasses, we were going to leave, but then we were talking to some people. I took my glasses and I put them in your purse. So just give me your purse and then I'll, and she goes, 
oh, I lost my purse. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so we end up calling, and uh, so I call Pastor John, and I'm like, John, I, I lost, you know, and he's like, he can't his phone. He goes, are you calling about Carrie's purse? And I said, yes. And he's like, I have it. And we're down the street at this restaurant. So then I go pick him up. And he, it didn't matter. The purse kind of matched his outfit, so it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, it just what a weird situation. Now, here's, here's, how, um, here's how it works in, in, in life, right? Is that you don't realize it when it's happening. But it's like this moment comes and you realize that either something that you had was lost or you come to the realization that you are lost. And, 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 and like I told you, if you were here last week, one of the things we talked about is there's no worse feeling than the feeling of being lost. And last week we kicked off a series, a three-week series leading up to Easter that we're looking at that's called Prodigal. And we're spending these three weeks talking about the story, one of the more famous stories that Jesus told, the story of the prodigal son. And today we're going to look at, spend our time looking at the younger brother. Uh, in the story, the younger son in the story, the one who left home and lived a really wild life, hoping to get what he wanted out of life. And, uh, and, and see, this younger son, um, sometimes I think we can look down on him, like, look what he did, and he hurt his family and all this. But this younger son was really struggling with sometimes what a lot of us struggle with. He was looking to find the things out of life that a lot of times a lot of us are looking to find out of life. I mean, he wanted to be happy the same way we want to be happy. He wanted to have purpose the same way we want to have purpose. He wanted meaning and fulfillment the same way that all of us want meaning and fulfillment. He just went about it the wrong way. And the truth of the matter is, is that many of us can go, can go that way looking for something. But the question that I want to focus on is a couple of things that I want us to think about today, if we can, and that is, how do you find something that's lost? And especially, and maybe we can think about it this way, and that is, how do you, what do you do if you're the one who's lost? How do you find your way back home? And that, what I want to show you is three things in this story about what do you do when you're lost. And because I think this is important if you're in a place where you've just come to that realization, man, I am lost and I need to come home. And this, I think, is also important if you're here and you're in a place where Someone that you love is lost and you're trying to help them to find their way home. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. So you can open your Bible there or your smartphone or your iPad or however that works for you. But we're going to start in chapter 15, verse 11. And here's what it says. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he had joined himself to a citizen of that country, he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to note. How do you, how do we find what we've lost? The first is this, is that I need to know what I'm looking for is to, to know what it is that we're looking for. When I, I remember at the age of uh, 19, I left home and got my own apartment because what I was looking for, I thought it was going to be amazing. Um, I thought I was going to be, you know, be able to stay out all hours. I thought I was going to be able to play my music loud it was going to be the ultimate bachelor pad, you know, so you walked into my apartment. Now, once again, I was 19, you know, as a deli- working as a delivery guy while I was in college. So I wasn't making much money. So the apartment that we had, 
um, had like 70s shag carpet, if you're even familiar with that, what that is. It's like this long, I don't know who came up with this idea. They're like, you know how like a dog is really like hairy and nasty? We should make carpet like that. You know, so anyway, but it was like really uh, mustard yellow, but it was, you know, about 20 years old. So it had turned into like mustard brown. So it was really a nasty color. But um, I put all these movie posters on the wall. So you walked in and I had like all the Star Wars posters on the wall and Star Trek and Indiana Jones and all this, all these posters. And um, I used to collect, um, I used to do like collect toys and all that. And so I had, um, I, I had these, I took all these push pins and fishing wire. And so I put push pins in the ceiling, which I know that the landlord really appreciated. And uh, so I hung all of these collectible toys off the ceiling. So when you walked in, um, it looked like a scene from The Empire Strikes Back. You know, I mean, I had like X-Wing fighters and, you know, TIE fighter and a Millennium Falcon. And it was, it was actually pretty awesome. And, um, and I remember when I was living, like I would come home and I, when I was living at home and my mom and my sister were like, oh, we're going to watch Saved by the Bell or Full House or um, what's the one with Urkel? What's the name? Family Matters. What's up? What's up, Family Matters? And uh, so, and I was like, man, I want to watch my own stuff. Someday I'm going to have my own place. I'm going to watch whatever I want on cable. And then I got my own place and I realized I can't afford cable. And uh, like, I, I didn't really thought that through. And, um, and, and the thing, it was weird. So I ended up watching like these, I had these 10 movies on VHS that I just watched over and over again. And because um, and, and I was, you know, I had to get it. Because you know, when you get movies... Yeah, you never get, um, you never get like, you always get widescreen, or back then it was called, uh, you get them in, in letterbox. Um, but I, I had a 13-inch television that I watched. So imagine a 13-inch television in letterbox. I mean, it was like watching a, a movie through like the crack of a window. Like, hey, that looks like my favorite movie, only smaller. And uh, so it was terrible. And then I would, uh, and then, you know, the other thing I didn't realize is that I didn't really understand in my house how clothes got clean. Because when I was living at home, I would just throw clothes on the floor. And then the next day, they would magically appear clean and folded on my bed. And so I moved into my apartment, did what I normally did, took my clothes, threw them on the floor. Nothing happened. Throw more clothes on the floor, nothing happened. It's like the weirdest thing. Turns out there was something involving a washing machine that I had no idea. It was my wife. Um, we were dating at the time. She comes over to my apartment and is like, you see that thing outside? That's a washing machine. You need to learn how to use it. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And uh, turns out I, I did. And, um, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm once again, I'm, I'm on a student's salary. And uh, so, I'm, I'm tr- you know, we didn't have much money for food. Um, so what I would, most times what we would eat, when things were good, I would buy cereal and milk, you know. But when things weren't good, which was like, you know, always, um, I would eat, um, you know, Chef Boyardee raviolis. And then we would put them on white bread. And that, so you could actually fit, if you could fit two raviolis, and then if you cut a ravioli in half, you could fit three raviolis on one thing of white bread, and then you just make like a ravioli sandwich. I don't think that's what the chef intended when he made his masterpiece of the ravioli, but that's what we did because it kind of filled it out a little more, and you could have a can of it and not feel hungry. And um, now, my whole thing, what am I, I'm, sur- I'm leaving home because I'm in search of this one thing. Here's what I'm looking for. Freedom, Right? Here's what I found. Responsibility. Right? And what I didn't realize was, after I had left home, I had all this freedom at home. But I didn't see it as freedom. I saw it as a drag and I saw all these things. And I didn't realize I had to come to this, this moment where I kind of, oh, now I get it, where I realized that I was so much freer at home than I was when I left 
searching for the thing that I, I ended up already having. You see, the prodigal son leaves home in search of the same thing, freedom. He wants to live life on his own terms, and he's driven by this belief that he knows best, and he's going to find what he's looking for, and that's why he's willing to cause his, his family incredible pain, incredible embarrassment, humiliation, uh, because he's in search of finding this freedom that he wants, finding the life that he thinks that he deserves somewhere outside of his father's house. Understand, in this culture, to ask his father for the inheritance, and if you were here last week, we talked about it. If you weren't, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, for, for him to ask his father for the inheritance was a huge insult to him. He was essentially saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I would get the inheritance and I'd be on my way, but I just want to hurry up that process. And uh, culturally speaking, and if you read these books on Jewish culture at, this, at the time of Jesus, um, what, what you learn is, is that in that culture, the only response that the father would have, the only logical response culturally would be, and this is what it says, for him to punch his son square in the face. And then, I, and if you were here last week, I told you that, but I didn't tell you this part. The other part is, he was supposed to punch his son square in the face and then keep hitting him repeatedly as he pushed him out of the house and told him never to return because he was now kicked out of the family. But see, the father does, does something in this story that is just incredible. He actually does what his son asks him to do. He divides up the property, and in that culture, the older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get one-third, so he divides it up, the son gets his one-third, and he's, and he's on his way. But I want you to notice verse 12, what he says in verse 12. Uh, it says that he, 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 he says to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls on me, and he divided them, he divided to them his livelihood. That term livelihood, if you're, if you're a note-taker in the Greek, is the word bios, where we get our word biology, it's where we get our word for life, bios, B-I-O-S, and it's... It's most of the time in the New Testament, it's translated as life. And this, now you've got to understand, um, uh, if I can, let me give you the graduate level course on this part of the story. Um, he calls it, he says that it's his livelihood, it's his life. Why is that? Now let me explain to you what, what happens here. Um, Moses leads the people out of Egypt, right? We're going way back, okay? Moses leads the people out of Egypt through the desert, 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua is raised up as the leader. They go into the land. Walls of Jericho fall down, all these battles. At the end, now, they divide up the land of Israel into the 12 tribes. Within the 12 tribes, every family gets a, gets a portion of land. Now, that gets passed on generation to generation to generation to generation now to this dad whose son has just told him, I wish you were dead, give me the portion of the inheritance that falls on me. What his inheritance would be, once again, there's no ATMs in this culture. Well, let me just get, you know, write you a check. Let me, you know, no, it's, I'm going to give you a portion of the land. This is our family inheritance that leads us all the way back to the land that God gave us. When, we, when our ancestors fought the battles that, that God gave us this land so graciously, and now this is our life. This isn't just our livelihood, it's our life that connects us to who we are as a people, that connects us to our relationship to God as, as a people that are connected to the land. And so when he says, I want the land, he says, so he divided up his life. Why? Now understand this, and this is the, this is the thing that just blows my mind. The only way that this father can leave a door open for his son and he to be reconciled is if he does this, is if he actually divides up 
his life, if he tears off a piece of his life, his livelihood, and gives it to his son, the only, op- the only alternative is once again for him to hit his son repeatedly, push him out, and excommunicate him from the family. But instead, the father accepts humiliation. The father accepts pain. The father accepts his life being ripped apart. Listen to what the, the Bible says this. I put it in your notes. It says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful ministry of reconciliation. My friends, in this story, this, the Father is a picture of God who gave his life so that we could be reconciled to him. Because instead of shunning us and forcing us to pay the price for our own sins, he allowed his life to be ripped apart, to be divided up so that we could be reconciled to him. Well, look what happens in the story in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread and enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father's house and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want you to think through. When we talk about finding what we've lost, it's not just knowing what you're looking for. That's part of it. The second thing is that I need to retrace my steps. It's retracing my steps. Because I don't know if you've ever had this moment in your life where you get somewhere, you're involved in something, and this is what you're thinking. Um, you, you think, how in the world did I get here? The, I'm sure that the, the younger brother is standing in the pig pen, feeding these pigs, and he's thinking to himself, how in the world did I get here? Because you don't have to be a Jewish scholar to know that a young Jewish kid feeding pigs ain't kosher, right? And so, uh, like, this can't be right. And he's thinking, like, how in the world did I get here? Um, when I was 18, I was, uh, <laughs> I was ordered by a judge. I, I, I want to just reiterate, I was 18. Um, I was ordered by a judge to attend 12 hours of driving school. Um, and uh, now, if you're, not, if you're not aware of how the system works, there's a four-hour course, an eight-hour course, a 12-hour course. Someone told me there's like a 24-hour course. I know nothing of that. But four, eight, and 12 hours, I know a little bit more about than I should. I've actually done the, I've done the four-hour course several times. Um, this is before you could do it online, and they had like professional comedians doing it. This is like hardcore. They're showing bloody videos, you know, of people dying. You know, it was basically like a horror movie. Anyway, that's kind of hardcore when I did it. Um, but I actually did it so many. I, I, I went to these classes so often, um, you know, that I actually had the same teacher twice, which by the, which I'm told is really rare. But there, uh, the guy's name was Clyde Grimm. And you're saying, how, how do you remember that name? Because things were looking pretty grim for me. Um, but, that's, but I remember, I don't forget the guy's name was Clyde Grimm, spelled with two M's. And, um, and, and at the beginning of the class, he would say, now I know this is a rare thing. Is anybody here who has been here before? You've taken my class before. So I raised my hand, me. And he goes, well, come on up. All right. I mean, there's like 50 people in the class. So I come up and he says, because you're an alumni, I have a prize for you. And he gave me a pencil. And the pencil uh, is a white pencil, and it said Clyde Grimm, driving instructor. That's what you got. I've cherished that thing for the, my whole life. Anyway, um, so, uh, I, so I uh, had been to the, the four-hour class a few times, and I went to the eight-hour class. Well, I totaled my car. I got into this accident. It was my fault. And um, I, the, the judge told me I had to go to the 12-hour course. So I went to the class, and I'm just being honest with you. It was the craziest group of weirdos I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was, that was a messed up group of people. Uh, the level of mutants that I saw in there was like nothing I had ever seen. 
And uh, now I will tell you this. I'm telling you this because every person in that class looked like they had done hard time at some point in time. And I'm like this young kid, you know. I mean, I had a mohawk at the time. Now I have the reverse. But back then I had a mohawk. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I walk in and I probably added to the weird factor. So it was all these hardened criminals and then like this one older woman um, who, who had told the class she had never in her life made a mistake driving. Um, now, the, the, the reason I tell you this is because, and this is, I know you're going to say, man, I'm so glad I got out of bed for this. Um, because the lady, the lady, uh, the, the guy doing the class, has, you know, he says this rhetorical question like, has anyone here ever not made a mistake on the road? And the lady raises her hand. You've never made a mistake on the road? And she goes, sir, I work with children. I don't have the luxury of making mistakes. And he says, um, ma'am, you're in the 12-hour driving course. And she's like, well, the officer and I didn't see eye to eye. You know, and I'm thinking like, unless you punch the officer in the face, there's no way that you got here anyway. So, I'm, so I sit down. I'm, that's the lady on one side of me. On the other side of me is this guy. Now, I've got to tell you this because I tend to take a live and let live philosophy in life. So I go to this driving class. And, you know, even as a young guy, I'm like, I just want to get through this. Like, I'm not trying to make a career out of this. I just want to get through it. But these guys, like this one guy that's on the other side of me, he starts arguing with the teacher. Like, you know, oh, no, you don't have to put your signal on or something like this. Like, dude, he's probably right. Like, he's certified by some group, right, to teach this thing. And so just leave it alone. But then the guy, just the other guy, this guy starts arguing. No, you don't have to do that. I've been driving for this long. And it's like... You're in the 12-hour driving course. Apparently, you're not winning any awards for this, okay? So anyway, one time, the guy says something. He, ra- he raises his hand. And I turn, and I realize the guy's packing a gun. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be the headline. Young, handsome kid, dead in class. That's what's going to read, okay? And, um, and <laughs> the, that's not my headline. That's what they were going to write about me. Um, and so they... Uh, uh, they so the guy starts arguing, and then he says to, the, to the, guy, uh, the, the, the two of them are arguing, the teacher and this guy. And I'm thinking, like, why is the teacher even giving this guy the time of day? So then the teacher says, well, how many of you agree with him? To the guy in the class. I raise my hand, thinking everybody else is going to raise their hand. And the guy, so the teacher says to me, well, why do you agree with him? I say, because I always agree with the guy with the gun. That's just my rule. And he says, you have a gun? And I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? So... The guy has to leave class. He's got any, put the gun in his glove box. He comes back. Him and I weren't really friends after that. And, I, you know, so that whole thing is, and I'm asking myself this question, like, how in the world did I get here? Like, what have I done to deserve this? You know, like, uh, and, and now here's the thing. This younger son, right, is like infinitely worse off because he's feeding pigs these little carob pods, and, and, and that's what in, in, in that culture, that's what they would eat. They'd eat these little carob pods, which the human body can't break down, but it's great for pigs because the way that their bodies work, that they can actually break them down. And it's in the process of that that he actually, you know, it says that he came to himself. He, like, got his mind back. He, he started thinking clearly. And that is actually a Jewish idiom for repentance, that he came to himself. And like, what, what is repentance? Repentance is a word that gets a very negative rap in our culture, but it's actually a beautiful term. Repentance, in the Greek, it's the word metanoia, which means to change your mind, to change your direction. It's a, it's a change of heart. When we're on the wrong track, 
that God will actually use circumstances and everything else at His disposal to cause us to come to our senses and to change our mind, to change our direction. Um, in the Jewish culture, um, the, the Hebrew word was the, for repentance is the word teshuva. And, and the word teshuva means, it, it adds a little bit to it, but it means it's changing your direction, but it's also going back on the path that you know. That's why in Proverbs it says, if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's older he won't depart from it. So that even if he actually does play the role of the prodigal, there can be a time of teshuva, a time of repentance, where he then will come back to the path that his parents have taught him when he was young. But um, now the prodigal comes to his senses, he, he repents, and it, it produces in him a desire to go home. That's why 2 Corinthians 7, I put it in your notes, it says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The prodigal decides he wants to come home, but I want, it's not exactly what we would hope for. It's not the father would hope for. The, the, this young kid decides to go home, but what he decides to do is write a speech. He's, he, he creates this speech and he's rehearsing it, and because when he finally sees his dad, he's going to tell him exactly, he's going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, one of your skilled craftsmen. And so now, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But he doesn't say to him, Dad, I want you to make me a slave, because slaves don't get paid. I want you to make me like one of your skilled craftsmen so um, I can, because the way that it would work in that culture, the skills craftsmen, the craftsmen would live just outside of town. They would come in, do the work, and then leave. So he wouldn't have to face the humiliation of being around these people that he has shamed because he's allowed these Gentiles to come in and buy the property and all this stuff. And now um, he, can, he can go about repaying the debt to his father without having to face the humiliation. Now, can I just... Can we just pause here for a second and, and, and talk about this for a minute? Um, sometimes this is what we can think. Sometimes we can think that, oh man, we come to our senses. I need to come to God. I need to get my life right with God. I know. I'll clean up my act so that God will accept me. And so what we'll do is that we'll commit to trying harder and doing better so that now God will, will, will accept me. You know, God will like me now because I'm, I'm trying hard and I'm doing better. And the prodigal son is crafting his speech because he doesn't believe that his father will accept him as his son because he's disrespected his father so severely. And listen, the point is this, and this is so important for us to understand, is that God is not waiting for you to clean up your act. You cleaning up your act saying, I know I'm going to do better and then I'll be able to come to God and he'll accept me. Listen, you're trying to be your own savior by doing that. That's not the gospel, that's not Jesus, that's not the cross, that's I'm going to do it, I'm going to be good enough to earn God accepting me and loving me. Listen, God is looking for us to ask for grace because that's all we can ask for because we're hopeless without Him. And that's why by the time this son gets home, he drops the negotiation from his speech and he falls at his father's feet and asks for forgiveness, asks for mercy, and asks for grace. Look what happens here. It starts in verse 20. Here's what we read. He says, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing. What do I do when I'm lost? Number, four, number three is I need to receive God's grace. Receive his grace. And I want you to notice something that's important in, in this story, and that is that the son alters his speech. He doesn't ask to be a skilled worker in his father's house. He realizes that he has screwed up his life so badly that there is only one thing that he can ask from his father, and that is grace. What is grace? Getting what we don't deserve. He had disgraced his father. He had insulted his family. He had hurt the community. What did he deserve? He had deserved what... Uh, I mean, he, he had sold off a piece of the ancestral family land. I mean, this is, his father had every right to, in, to enact what's called the Kazaza ceremony. Uh, the Kazaza ceremony in first century Judaism was if there was a Jewish boy who had squandered his family inheritance and shamed his family and then even dared to come home, they would take a large pot. When he came home, they would break it in front of him because that's what he's done. He's broken the hearts and the lives of his family. And they would say, they would cry out to him. They would say, you, so-and-so, are kazaza, cutting off. You're cut off from your people. And then they would drive him out. And they would have never have anything to do again with this wayward son. And um, this was the father's right. But instead, he sees his son and he comes running. Now understand, in that culture, I told you this last week, older men didn't run. That was seen as undignified. But it doesn't say that he you know, briskly jogged. That term raced means it was like it was the same word that's used as a foot race in a stadium. He ran as fast as he could. And he found his son and he kissed him. And you know what I love about this? Uh, um, the, the term that says, and he kissed him, um, could literally be translated, he kissed him repeatedly. That he kissed him again and again. Um, if you have kids, I bet you do this. I have this thing with my kids, like if I go out of town for something or I'm speaking somewhere and I, and I go out of town or if, I, if it's been a long day and I, I haven't seen them, um, I'll get home. I do this thing with them called 100 besitos and um, I have to give my kids 100 kisses every day. And so sometimes if I haven't seen them, I'll just grab them and then like body slam them on the, uh, you know, we'll wrestle and I'll, you know, I'll body slam them on the couch and I'll just start giving them, you know, 100 besitos right then. They'll get them all at once so that we make sure that we, that we do that. Listen, that's what's happening here. This, this kiss that symbolizes that his father and, and his son, that the father is accepting his son, and that the relationship has been restored. In, in, in Jewish culture, a kiss was a symbol of love, a symbol of loyalty. A, a, a disciple would come and kiss his rabbi as, as a sign of the specialness of their relationship. That's why when Judas betrays Jesus, how does he betray him? With a kiss. And Jesus asks the question, and he says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I mean, that's not what a kiss is for. A kiss shows that, that, we're, that there's, a, there's, there's a unity between us, there's, there's a bond between us. But this is the symbol that you're betraying me. That's not what a kiss is for. Um, there, there's two things that I want to show you here from the text that I think are really important. Uh, especially if you're a parent. Um, the first is this. The father didn't enable his son's rebellion. Um, it, it took the son, this is so important, it took the son getting into the pig pen to, and make him hit rock bottom 
for him to actually come to his senses and want to come home. And listen, I'm telling you this as a dad with three kids. And, and if you have kids, listen, I know this, that there's nothing that you wouldn't do for your kids. But sometimes we have to let our kids own their decisions. And the worst thing that we can do is bail them out. You know what we don't read in the story? The son ran out of money because of his wild living. And then the father started wiring money through Western Union to, to, send him, to send him some extra cash. It doesn't say that. You know, and then the son, just when he was down on his luck, the dad sent him some American Express uh, traveler's checks. You know, it doesn't say that. It says that, you know, his dad didn't use his contacts to get him a better job than feeding pigs. Instead, he had to own his decisions. And sometimes, listen, it's tough, but we've got to let our kids own their decisions. But sometimes we're like, ay, pero el niño. Pero tú sabes, el niño. Let me tell you something about el niño. El niño's 30 years old, and you keep, he's living at home, and you keep giving him money because he won't get a job and take responsibility for his life. And I talk to parents all the time who are like, they're paying their kids traffic tickets, and they're paying the kids insurance, and they're buying the kid a new car because he totaled the last one. Guess what? They are never going to come to their senses until they experience the pig pen, the consequences of their decisions. And this doesn't start at age 20. This starts when they're little kids. My wife um, was at, we're at Nutrition Smart down the street. Um, she was getting some vitamins for our kids. And we tell the kids, you know, because they, they give out balloons at Nutrition Smart, um, if, you, if you're good, then you can have a balloon. If you're not good, you don't get a balloon. Well, guess what? My older daughter, Mia, misbehaved. No balloon. Xander did well. Xander gets a balloon. And, you know, now, you know how this is. So at the end, she's like, am I going to get a balloon? No, you're not getting a balloon. You misbehaved. And you know how kids have this ability to, like, throw themselves on the floor in public? Ah, no, not a balloon! You know, because if you're a kid, a balloon is like the equivalent of us finding $100 on the street. Like, what? Yeah! You know, that's like us. And they, kids find a balloon and like, oh, I can't believe this! You know, but to, to deny a kid a balloon... I mean, it's like you're ripping his heart out or her heart. And so she's like, she's throwing herself on the floor. I got a balloon, you know. And, uh, and this whole thing is going on. And, and my wife is like, you know, anytime you're done, we can leave. Um, because I don't know about your kids, but my kids know that if, if they, they try this, if they make the biggest scene in public, they will try. Because my kids don't throw themselves on the floor at home. Like, oh, man, that's not going to work out, you know. And, and public, they're like, they're, you know, they're like doing like, the, you know, snow angel on the floor, all this stuff, because they're trying to get their way. And it's like, and every kid is the same. I remember being a kid. I wanted this like Donald Duck, this Donald Duck record. Yeah, that's how old I am. Donald, and I remember I didn't get it, and I was in the record store, and I'm like, I know. And I just like dove for the floor, and I'm like, ah! And my mom just left. She did. She just left and got in the car, and I'm like, Wait for me! And I ran out. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to be good. I don't want to work there. Just let me come home. And, uh, and so, but listen, so my, my daughter gets, no, she doesn't get, uh, doesn't get a balloon. And she's like heartbroken over no balloon. And um, so I get home and um, uh, my wife tells me the story. We were talking on the way home. She tells me the story. And then we're having dinner. And, you know, I'll say, all right, now who wants to pray? You know, my son and my daughter. My son's two and a half. My daughter's five, and they both raise their hand. So what we do is we'll say, all right, you know, one prays first, the other second. So, all right, you call, you hang up. And so that's kind of how we do it at our house. So, and Mia prays this prayer. It's like unbelievable, you know. And she just said, you know, she prays for a bunch of things. And she says, God, 
help me to be a better listener so I can have a balloon next time. And I'm like, oh, I want to get you a balloon right now. You know, I'm going to blow up a piece of clothing and make, you know, I'm going to do something for you because that's just, that's just beautiful. And, um, and, 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 and listen, can I just tell you something that if you, if you have a prodigal son or daughter, um, the, the, can, I, can I just tell you this? Uh, this is the prayer you should be praying every day is, God, I, I, I love my son. I love my daughter so much. I know you love them more. And I'm praying you make them completely miserable until they cry out to you. And seriously, because it's not, sometimes it's not until they get to the pig pen that they realize that, um, that this is, this is um, that I could go home. That I could actually do what God says and experience the life that, that God really has for me. There's a passage in the book of Jeremiah that says this, in Jeremiah 2.19. It says, your own wickedness will, rebuke you, will correct you. Your own backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. Um, the story of the prodigal son just reminds me of the book of Jeremiah so much. Because in the book of Jeremiah, God is weeping. Because he's looking at the rebellion of the people that they just keep turning to other gods and worshiping other gods and just doing these horrible practices that are involved in the worship of these other gods that God now says here, I have to actually send you to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And it's breaking my heart to see this happen. But I've called to you and I've tried and I've been gracious and I've sent prophets and I've sent teachers and I've sent preachers and I've tried, I've done everything I can to help you, but you, you're going to have to go to the pig pen for 70 years. And you know what happens in, 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 after they, they, when they go to captivity? They go to captivity and they come out and never again are they involved in idolatry. In fact, when someone tries to introduce idolatry into the land after that, they completely shun them, shut it down and kick them out because they understand they never again want to go back there. And that's why there's another passage in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 13, here's what he says, but if, if you people won't listen, and this is out of the message translation, he says, I'll go off by myself and weep over you. Weep because of your stubborn arrogance, bitter, bitter tears, rivers of tears from my eyes, because God's sheep will end up in exile. The point is this, that, God, that the father would have been hurting his son by enabling him and trying to... Um, help him, quote unquote, because the pig pen is what he needed. It's the only thing that allows him to come to his senses and then receive God's grace, which he's, which he's so ready to give. And the same thing, listen, the same thing is true with you. The same thing is true with me. That you and I can be far from God and um, we can hate how life is turning out, and then we call on God, and God, if you'll just do this for me, then I'll walk with you. And you know, we pray these, pr these prayers and we're lost. You know, like before we come to know Jesus, like, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll become a missionary or something, you know. And then things work out, and we go, ah, you know, forget about that, what I said, I didn't mean it. And then something else happens, and then things don't work out, and then we get mad at God. And listen, can I tell you this? Is sometimes God doesn't bail us out because He loves us too much to enable us. And that, listen, that though it hurts him to see us in that position, you know, the other thing that's true is that when we come to our senses, he will come running. He will come running. That's what we see in the father. Um, the, the other thing is this that I want you to note. Not only the, the dad didn't enable the son, but the other thing that I want you to note about the son is that he came to the father on the father's terms. He had this speech written out about how he was going to be a skilled craftsman and earn a nice salary and repay the debt and all that. 
But then when he got to his father, he just simply said, God, I need grace. Dad, I need grace from you. And that's, instead of manipulating or dictating or trying to make a deal, he simply fell at his father's feet and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No deals, no manipulation. I'm not trying to change this. I'm sorry. And I need grace. Um, I came to know Jesus almost 20 years ago. And uh, I was 19. I thought I knew everything. And uh, my band was on the verge of a record deal. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, I thought I had the world by the tail. And um, it was like the trajectory, where the trajectory of my life was taking me was everything that I had wanted since I was about 13. And so here I was. I was on my way there. And, I mean, we were talking record deal, merchandising deal, a publishing contract. I mean, the whole thing. And then things got delayed. And then things began to change. And then things didn't start panning out the way that I hoped. And the record deal was delayed. And then it started to evaporate. And then things weren't working the way that I hoped that they were going to work. And I had put all of my eggs in the basket of being a musician. And that being what I did. And um, when things started to fall apart, I fell apart. And, um, I mean, I just realized, you know, I mean, I was depressed. And I I couldn't function. This was everything. This was my whole life. And I was lost. It was right around that time that my older brother shared the gospel with me. Talked to me about how Jesus had died for me. For every sin I've committed, past, present, and future. He died for me because I've sinned against God. And no one knew that more than me. But that he offered me salvation. He offered me eternal life through Jesus. And you know, I had heard the gospel before. And right then, and I, I was trying to then, well, you know what? If God will, will you know, give me the career that I want, then I'll follow him. And he said, that's not the way it works. Well, if God will just kind of make it, things happen the way they're supposed to happen for me, then I'll follow him. And he said, that's, that's not the way it works. That it's on his terms. His terms are you come to him and you surrender your life to him. And as you do, God will begin to do a work that you couldn't possibly imagine. And then I I tried more negotiation, and I said, well, you see, I already believe in God. I mean, I believe there's a God in heaven, so that's got to count for something. And he told me, listen, you might know some things about God, but you don't know God. You've never experienced God's forgiveness, God's love, God's grace. You've got a little bit of information. That's it. See, I was at a crossroads. Was I going to keep trying to invite God into my deal on my terms? Or was I going to surrender and fall at his feet and ask for grace? And I had to admit something that was so hard for me to admit. That everything that I knew about life was wrong. Everything that I knew about just about everything was wrong up until that point in time. But it was then when I realized that that I just fell at his feet. And you know what I found? When I, when I, made, when I turned around... When I came to myself, when I came to my senses, and I said, I'm going to go home. I found a God who came running for me. And can I tell you that maybe you're here and that's your story? You want to experience God in your life, but it's always been on your terms. And it's like, well, as long as God blesses me and does what I want him to do, then we're okay. But if not, I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, and, And maybe you've been mad at God because things haven't turned out the way 
that you hoped that, that they would. And can I tell you this, that sometimes God just allows us to kind of go to the end of our rope so that it's at then that we just kind of give up on our own strength and our own deal and our own ability to make it happen and our own um, ingenuity to try, oh, but I can get better and I can do better and I can work harder and I can be better and I can actually just let go and say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm hopeless and I'm broken and I'm messed up and I'm in need of forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And God, I'm choosing that I, I need you to forgive me. You know what you'll find? You will find that He will come running and embrace you and kiss you and accept you and love you and forgive you and, pour, and shower you with mercy and shower you with grace and change your life in ways that you never even dreamed possible. That's our God. that you're willing to come running to us. And Lord, I thank you that you've been so gracious to us. And Lord, for those of us that are here, that maybe we've been the prodigal, maybe we've gone somewhere else, we've been searching for what you offer somewhere else, and now we're in the pig pen, we're at the end of our rope, And today is the day that we're crying out and saying, God, I want to come home. God, help them to know that you will come running. That if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're praying together. Maybe you're here and and you've been the prodigal. And you've heard this message. You're like, Pastor, I, I get it. Um, I need to come home. I need to come to God and just say, God, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to try to do better and try to be my own Savior. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And I want His forgiveness, His love, His grace. If you're here today, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to just invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. All over this room. Blessings to you. See hands in the back. All over the back. See hands in the front. God bless you. That we come to God on His terms. And He, as we ask God for grace, the Bible says that those that uh, He won't turn anyone away who comes to Him, who calls on the name of the Lord, who by no means cast. those of us who come to Him, that He will receive us, accept us, forgive us, set our feet on a rock, change our lives. Lord, I want to thank You for those who've lifted a hand because it represents a life that desires to experience You and know You and walk with You. And Lord, my prayer 
is that you would change their lives as they call out to you. God, that's our hope. That's our prayer. That you would come running to embrace us, to kiss us, to love us, to forgive us. Because God, we've fallen so short of your standard. That's why we thank you for Jesus who died for us. Listen, um, those whom Jesus calls, he calls publicly. And so what I want to do is um, pray a prayer with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Those of you that say, you know, today's the day. And I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. Invite him to forgive me. Invite him um, and just invite him to um, embrace me and and just um, do a work in me that I couldn't do myself. I'm never going to be good enough to earn it. That's why Jesus came and died. And so if you say, you know, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm that I'm going to come home. Then here's what I'm going to invite you to do. In the moment the band's going to play, I'm going to invite you to come forward to the base of this stage. And there's going to be many others that come forward. And, here, and here's the point. that um, I want to lead you in a prayer that, that my older brother led me in that it's not a magic formula but instead it's your heart crying out to God the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved so I want to give you that opportunity so if you say today's the day that I want to come home that today's the day that I'm going to come to God here's what you can know you walk forward, he will come running to meet you here, to do a work in your life, to save you, to change your life, to set your feet on a rock, because the Bible says that um, that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, it hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So I'm going to invite you to come forward. pray with those who came forward, but I I just before I do, I'm going to ask if there's anybody else who wants to come forward, who wants to pray, you want to invite Christ into your life and ask Him to forgive you. Listen, the band is not going to play another song. I'm just going to invite you to come forward at this moment. Come forward right now, because we're we're going to pray in just a second. If you say, hey, that's me. God bless you guys. If there's anybody else who says, yeah, this this is for me. If there's something that's keeping you in the sea, can I just tell you something? Is that is that God that's keeping you in the sea? It's not Him. It's something else. Someone else. But maybe this is the moment to say, you know what, God, if you're calling me, then I'm gonna I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna invite you to come into my life and ask you to change my life. Those of you that came forward, can I just read? passage of scripture um, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5 it says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new that God that there's a person that we were and that we invite Christ into our life and guess what that old person melts away 
and that there's a new person that God is forming and shaping in us, a brand new creation that God is creating in us. That's the work that God wants to do in your life. He did that work in my life almost 20 years ago, and I prayed a simple prayer that I want to lead you in. Pray with you. I'm going to invite you just to repeat the prayer with me. Most important is meaning it in your heart, calling out to God. Just say, Lord God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus, from this day forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Great decision. Hey, can I just show you to my right, your left, you see Pastor John? Um, those of you that came forward, we have a Bible that we want to give you. We have a, a Bible study that we want to give you that's going to help you take your first few steps in your walk with the Lord. So just head over with John. And uh, he's going to give you that Bible. You can go with your friends if you want. Um, You know, all your stuff is still going to be here when you're done. And uh, we're going to support you all along the way. Blessings to you. Yeah. It's amazing what God is doing. And um, guys, we're, there's there's a, um, you know, as I just look out at what's happening in our church, and we just see so many people coming forward, so many people coming to the Lord. Um, this is not, this is just a work of God's Spirit that He's doing. And I think we just need to thank God for it, embrace it, and, uh, and just continue in the flow of what He's doing. So as you guys continue to invite friends, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel every week and see people come to know Jesus. Yeah, that's what, that's what we do here at Calvary. That's what we do. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God's Spirit stirring and moving in the hearts of people. And we're blessed to be part of it. We really are blessed to be part of it.